You're listening to a podcast from Genesis Church in Phoenix, Arizona. You can find out more about Genesis Church at genesis-church.com. Thanks for listening. Well, uh, good morning to all of you. Uh, before I begin this morning, I, I just got to ask, has God been kind of stirring something new in you as you go through this series? Um, and I, I ask that because I know that that's happening in my life, uh, even as I study for these messages, and, you know, we're only in the third chapter of Acts, it's, it's like God is like really bringing to life this dream that he had thousands of years ago, even before the beginning of time, for a group of people called the church to be his ambassadors on this earth, to bring the kingdom of God into it. And, and I've been fortunate to hear numerous people tell me stories of what God is doing in their lives. And so I hope that that continues as we go through the book of Acts. But as I thought about that and I think about you, it reminds me of the power of the best-selling book in the world ever, the Bible. It's not the best-selling book in the world ever because, you know, it's got a lot of pictures and stuff. It's there because there's something alive about the Scriptures. Whether you read it on a tablet or a phone or in paper form, there is something alive about the Bible. And so as we come to the Scriptures again today, whether this is the first time that you'll hear from the Bible this morning or the millionth time that you'll hear from the Bible, I, I want us to do with great expectation that God wants to stir and continue to stir something new in your life, that these words are living. They aren't something that just happened thousands of years ago. They're words that are continuing to happen in and among us, all right? So I, I want us to have a posture this morning that says these words are alive and breathing. They are words that have the power to change the human heart and to guide it deeper into a relationship with God. And so with that in mind, I'm going to pray real quick for our time, and then we're going to dive in. God, thank you so much for that last song that we sang, God, that from generation to generation, God, you are working. Your favor is upon us, that you are stirring the hearts of your people to be more and more like you, that in our community, you're stirring our hearts to be a community of changed lives, changing lives. And so this morning, we approach the scriptures, your word, your living word with great expectation. Do something new in us, teach us, change us, transform us. In your name we pray, amen. All right, so let me give you just a, be, a brief recap uh, of where we've been since last week because uh, it directly ties to what we're going to talk about this morning. Last week we, we started in Acts chapter 3. And if you aren't sure about what the book of Acts is, just know there are these Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that tell the story of Jesus and his time on earth, his death, his resurrection. And then comes the book of Acts, which really is the story of the beginning of the church, the people of God who were sent out by Jesus to be witnesses in the world. And in Acts chapter 3, we read about this interaction be between Peter and John, two of the first leaders of that first church. We see this interaction with them and this lame man who's sitting, sitting by the entrance of the temple. And we looked last week that that was a common thing 
to see, right? There were often beggars near the entrances of the temples during times of prayer because that's when many of the Jewish people who were known to be very generous with they have to the poor and those who are outcasts uh, to sit by the entrances so they could gather their income for the day. But Peter and John, they don't just walk by this guy. They, they don't see him as abnormal in any way. They, the text says that they look at him intently. They ask him to look at him or them. And, and as a result, uh, in the name of Jesus, they're able to heal this man. There's this great miracle that occurs. I mean, the man came for money and he receives healing. It was far more than he expected. And if you remember last week, we learned that there is way more to be expected in the name of Jesus. Right? And it all came simply because Peter just declared the name of Jesus and healing in this man's life. And at the end of our passage from last week, we are told that this healed man now, who's been an outcast, who's been seen as unclean because of his condition, he couldn't go in the temple. He takes a beeline into the temple and he starts jumping around, praising Jesus. I'm not going to dance again today. Okay? I know. I know. Listen, listen. If I do it too much, then you're just going to expect it every week. And I can't be that person. I can't be that person, all right? Uh, so he's leaping, he's dancing, he's having this just ecstatic about what is just had. There's commotion, as you can imagine. And this commotion is causing those onlookers, those people who have gathered to pray in the temple to wonder what in the world is happening. And so that's where we're going to pick up the story in Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 11. Reminder again, open up your YouVersion app. If you don't have it, download it, get it. Find us in there. You'll be able to follow along with our passage today. Acts chapter 3, verse 11. It says this, They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade, where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. Verse 11, They all rushed out in amazement, and the man is holding tightly to Peter and John. Now, that area of the temple, Solomon's colonnade, was an area of the temple that ran along the east side of the building. It was a gathering space, much like maybe our lobby would be a gathering space, or the, just outside of the building where people would gather and they would talk and they would discuss the things of the world and they would discuss the things of God without being inside the temple. And it was there, the book of Acts says, that this healed man who's run down through the temple and come back to Peter and John is embracing Peter and John. And I have this image of Peter and John like uncomfortably being embraced by this man, you know, as he grab bear hugs him and just shakes him in gratitude for what has just happened in his life. And they're smiling as he shakes them. But as they're being shaken and hugged by this man, there's this crowd that is gathering to see what in the world happened. We just we were praying, and this guy came in who normally would be sitting near the entrance, who was crippled, and he was running and doing the running man and moonwalking through the temple, and now here he is hugging Peter and John. What has happened? And so this crowd begins to gather around Peter and John. And as it does, Peter sort of looks over the shoulder of the man, and he sees the crowds gathering. And the text says he responds, and it says it like this, verse 12, Peter saw his opportunity. Now listen, we're going to come back to this. We're going to talk a lot about this, but just keep that in mind. Peter saw his opportunity, and he addressed the crowd. People of Israel, he said, what is so surprising about this? And why stare at us as though we made this man walk by our own power of godliness? For it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, 
the Jacob, the God of all our ancestors, who has brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. This is the same Jesus whom you handed over and rejected before Pilate, despite Pilate's decision to release him. You rejected this holy, righteous one and instead demanded the release of a murderer. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we are simply witnesses to that fact. So Peter is being hugged by this man, and he looks over the shoulder of the healed man, and he says, it says that he sees an opportunity, an opportunity to tell these people about Jesus. And the speech that he gives is actually fairly similar to that of Acts chapter 2. Right? If you go back and you read, it's very similar as he addresses the crowd for the first time. It's possible that some of the people there heard Peter talk that way back in Acts chapter 2, but it's also possible that many of them have not heard him talk. It feels a little bit heavy-handed, right? He's kind of pointing the finger at them a little bit, saying, like, why do you think this is me? No, 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 this was Jesus. Remember the guy that you all said, crucify him? And you allowed the release of a prisoner, a murderer, in his place, yeah, that guy, that's the guy that's allowing all of this to occur. Peter looks over the shoulder of the man, and he realizes, I am not going to let this opportunity go to waste, which is then why he goes on to say these words to them. He says in verse 16, through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed. And you know how crippled he was before. You walked by him every single day. By faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. Again, Peter says, lest you forget. And you think that it was me that actually healed the man. Peter says, no, 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 no. It was only faith in the name of Jesus. It was only because of the love of Jesus in Peter's life and John's life that enabled them to do any of what the people witnessed. Now, there's something that happens in this story that I really don't want us to miss. Because, see, there's this progression that's happened in the life of Peter that is vitally important as we consider God's work in our lives and in the world. And so to see this progression of Peter, we have to go back a little ways. I'm going to take us back to John chapter 21. And, to, and, and here we find in John chapter 21, uh, Jesus has died uh, he has then uh, resurrected from the dead, but the disciples don't know that yet. And so after his death, they're like, I guess we're just going to go back to what we've always been doing. And so Peter and his friends and his brother, they go back to what they once were doing, which was fishermen. And they get on their boat and they go out into the lake and they, they start fishing. And as they're on the lake, Jesus appears on the shore to them and he starts talking to them. He says things like, hey, throw your net on the other side. And they're like, who's this guy? You know, whatever. They can't really see. He's in the distance. And they throw it on the other side, and they catch all this fish. They can barely pull it into the boat. And it's in that moment that Peter realizes, that's not just any guy. That's Jesus. And so Peter just jumps out of the boat, and he swims to shore, right? This is very Peter-like. If you know the story of Peter, he's just sort of rash, right? He's very spontaneous. You know, keep in mind, the last time that Peter saw Jesus was when Jesus was arrested and taken away to be crucified. And as all of that's going on, Peter denies having ever known Jesus. He's afraid for his own 
life. And so people are like, wait, aren't you one of the disciples of that man that's being crucified right now? He's like, no, 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 that's some other guy, you know? Looks like me, has the same beard or something. He does this three times. Jesus says, you're going to do this. And Peter's like, no, but he still does it. And now he's seeing Jesus standing on the shore, calling out to them. And he jumps in the water and he swims to Jesus and he stands before Jesus. And I imagine that Peter in that moment is thinking to himself, here it is. You know what? Like I did exactly what he said I was going to do. What is my punishment? What is my consequence, Jesus? I've failed you. And as he stands before Jesus, Peter is just waiting for the, I told you so. I told you you would do it. But instead, Jesus says, come eat breakfast with me. Now, if you don't know, in the ancient world, and I think in our modern world, the invitation to a meal was a sign of friendship. That we're in we're good. That I love you. Come and sit at my table and eat. These are not the words Peter is expecting in that moment. Jesus is saying, You're my friend. I still love you. And then as they're eating and they wrap things up, Jesus then says to Peter, he asks him this question: Do you love me more than these? Thinking of the fish. Thinking of the other disciples, do you love me more than these? To which Peter answers, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, well, then feed my sheep. And then Jesus does it a second time. He says, do you love me more than these? To which Peter says, yes, and I love you. And he says, well, then feed my sheep. And then Jesus does it a third time. Jesus says, do you love me more than these? And Jesus says, yes. And he says, well, then feed my sheep. Sheep, do you know why he asked him three times? Jesus is reversing the denial of Peter that he made just hours prior. He said, you denied me, and I still love you, but we're going to reverse that because I want you to love me in a way you've never loved me before. And then when you love me in that manner, you'll be prepared to go feed my sheep. You'll be ready to do the things that I've asked of your life. Despite Peter's denial of Jesus before his death, Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, expresses love to him. Come, eat with me. And find that when you love me, you have everything you need to feed the sheep in this world. And it is that love that same love that Jesus has for Peter, that Peter has for Jesus, that fuels what Peter does in Acts chapter 3. I don't want us to miss this. Filled with the love of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, Peter walks to the temple and he sees the lame man sitting near the entrance. Can we all admit that subtract the love of Jesus from Peter's life and he does not see the man? He does not see the man. He walks by the man like everyone else. Without the love of Jesus, Peter doesn't give a second look to the man. He just keeps walking. It was the love of Jesus that led Peter to do what Jesus was asking of him in that moment. Do you love me, Peter? Then feed my sheep. And when the love of 
Jesus fills the life of Peter. He, not just, he doesn't just see the man, but that love that Jesus has filled him with, the love that he has with, for Jesus, it leads him to take action. It leads him to take action. And so Peter can say in verse 3, verse, or excuse me, chapter 3, verse 16, he can say, it's through faith in the name of Jesus that this man was healed. Look, me, I'm a broken human being. If it's just me, I walk by the guy and I don't care. But because of the love of Jesus that he has for me, despite my brokenness and the love that I have for him, not only did I see the man, but I had compassion and I took action. It was the love of God in me, Peter said, that allowed me to even notice the guy sitting by the temple. Only faith in Jesus spurred Peter to do anything about his situation. But this progression that Peter is going through from this broken, just faithless human being to this loving, compassionate, obedient man. It isn't complete because as the crowds gather around him, I mean, Peter has, out of love, he's, he's reached out and he's acted upon what Jesus has put before him. But then there's this additional piece of this progression in Peter's life because as the people gather, the text says that Peter sees an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus that has loved him. I want you to notice this progression in Peter's life. Love, obedience, and opportunity. I'll say it again. Love, obedience, and opportunity. Let's say it together, okay? Love, good. Obedience, and opportunity. Peter tastes the unquenchable love of Jesus. And through that, he is called into this beautiful life of obedience fueled by that love. Feed my sheep, Jesus tells him. Live as I have lived. And through that obedience, what happens? Peter sees an opportunity. An opportunity is put right before Peter, here's what I believe this passage is teaching us. It's teaching us that love-fueled obedience leads to opportunity. Love-fueled obedience leads to opportunity. This is Peter's reality in this passage. Fueled by the love of Jesus in his life, Peter is obedient in the Spirit's leading. He sees the man. He performs the miracle. He allows the man to celebrate. And then God provides him a new opportunity, an opportunity to do exactly as Jesus told him he would do in John chapter 21, feed his sheep, tell others about me, lead the people of Jerusalem to the bread of life. You know, earlier in the book of John, Jesus says these words to his first disciples, including Peter. He says, if you love me, obey my commandments. You love thee, obey my commandments. Now, when we talk about the word obedience, some of us kind of, ooh, like, I want to obey. That's like this four-letter word, which we've done a series on that before. But obedience in the scriptures is not an obligation. It's not an obligation. Uh, obedience 
is the natural act of our lives when it is fueled by the love of Jesus. There is no other way. By the love Jesus has for us and the love that we have for Jesus, our natural reaction when we are engulfed embodying that love is obedience. Jesus says, if you love me, you're going to obey my commandments. You're going to do the things that I've called you to do. You're going to live your life in the ways that I've asked. You know, these first followers, they aren't obedient because, well, guys, let's go. Get your act together. They're obedient to Jesus' instructions because of the love that he has for them and that they have for him. And I'm telling you right now, just like Peter did, the greater you understand the love of Jesus, the more you love him, the more obedient you become. And the more obedient that we become, the more opportunities that he puts before us. It's out of that love fueled obedience that Jesus provides opportunity after opportunity for the people of Acts, including Peter. It's why Jesus can say these words in Matthew chapter 25. He says, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you even more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. You've understood the depth of my love for you, and as you've understood it even more, your, your obedience has grown, and because of that, I can trust you with more and more opportunities to live out the mission of God. When the love of Jesus, when the love Jesus has for us and the love we have for Jesus grows more deeply, the more faithful and obedient we become on how he wishes us to live. And the more obedient we are in the midst of the smallest of things, the more opportunities Jesus provides for us to live out of the mission of God in the world. Now listen, this isn't a this for that sort of thing. This is just a reality in the way in which God has set up the kingdom of God. He says, listen, when you understand my love, your obedience will grow. And as your obedience grows, just the natural outpouring of that is more and more opportunities to be the person I created you to be. People will ask me all the time, like, I, I wish I knew God's purpose for my life. I wish I knew God's will for my life. I wish I knew the calling of my life. And my first question to them is, do you understand the love of Jesus? Because if you do not understand the love of Jesus, the one who died for your sin, who has given you new life, through his grace and his resurrection. If we do not understand that, it is very, very difficult for us to ever discover who it is and what it is that we're supposed to do with our lives. It's that love that fuels a greater obedience and dependence on God, which opens up opportunities to be his witnesses in this world. Now, I think a lot of our lives, unfortunately, are sort of spent in the opposite of this, I know it's true of me, where I think, you know what? Like, if you just give me an opportunity, God, then, then I'll do what you say, and then I'll probably I'll love you more, right? Like, we like to flip this on its head. Like, okay, God, just, you know what? Answer this prayer, and then I'll be able to do the things you want me to do because it'll have been answered, and then I'll have greater faith. But the Bible is the exact opposite. Jesus is saying, no, 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 I want you to love me. 
so that you'll then be fueled to be obedient in this world, then, then the opportunities will come. Maybe instead of praying for all of these opportunities in our lives to come true, maybe we should pray to have a deeper understanding of Jesus' love for us. Oh, now we're preaching. Some of you need to change your prayer list. You do. You've been praying, God, come through for me. God, make this thing happen. And I'm not saying we shouldn't ask God for requests, but if we haven't first understood the depth of Jesus' love for us, then what does it matter? Jesus is calling us to a deeper life of obedience fueled by love. And man, when Peter does it, it just imagine Peter's mind exploding as this happens. Where once he had denied Jesus, he'd said, and he thought for sure this was the end. Now here he is. And that love is just fueling his life and everything that he does and everything that he sees and every movement that he makes. And it's causing him to do things he never thought was possible just to be simply obedient to Jesus because of the love that fuels his life. And then Jesus gives him opportunities to just talk about him. What if, what if evangelism is not this list of things if we do this outreach and we do that outreach and we do that, you know what? If you follow these five rules, then you'll be able to reach people in this world. What if evangelism, reaching people for Christ, begins with us better understanding the love of Jesus and simply being obedient to the things that he's called us to do and be? I think it's then that Jesus explodes opportunities for us to communicate that same love to a world that desperately needs it. All right, I'm getting off track here. I got to get back. <laughs> you know, the Bible is the story of broken people like you and me discovering the love of God, allowing it to fuel a life of obedience, and seizing opportunities to be changed lives, changing lives in the world. That's what the Bible is. Look at in the book of Genesis, Jacob's son Joseph loved God. He had this heart for God. And yet he ends up in these horrible circumstances. Right? And his prayer isn't, God, you know what? I just want to get out of here. His prayer constantly is, hey, God, like, show me where you are. Show me who you want me to be. You want me to, okay. And that love fuels his life. You, you want me to interpret these dreams? Okay, I'll do that. You, you want me to go and do this thing that Pharaoh's asking me to do? Okay, then I'll go do that. And before long, what is he doing? He's leading the country of Egypt. It's, it's the Moses' love of God that fuels his obedience, that gives him the opportunity to lead God's people out of Egypt into the promised land. It's not obligation. It's the love of God. Moses was a murderer. He had run away from God and from his people, and God peers to him in a burning bush and says, look, I ain't done with you. I still love you. I still love you. Now go in obedience and see the opportunity I'm giving to you. David was considered a man after God's own heart, and that love-fueled obedience that he had when he was herding sheep, he was faithful in that. And then what does he do next? As a little tyke, throws down a giant, becomes king. Daniel's love of God fueled an obedience that didn't waver in the face of death 
and allowed him the opportunity to change Nebuchadnezzar's heart. Say it again. Love-fueled obedience leads to opportunity. Love-fueled obedience in our pursuit of a relationship with Jesus leads to opportunities to be changed and released. Love-fueled obedience in the care and leadership of your employees leads to opportunities for your people and your company to grow. Love-fueled obedience in the management of your finances leads to opportunities to be generous. Love-fueled obedience in partnering with God and His mission leads to opportunities to change the lives of others, much like Peter's experiencing in Acts chapter 3. Love-fueled obedience in the calling of simply being a parent every single day. It leads to opportunities to shape and form your children to love Jesus just like you do. i got to tell you a story because I'm sort of experiencing this in my own life. God's been teaching me some new things. And there's one particular instance that's happened recently that, man, God's just blown my socks off, okay? So about a month ago, I was meeting with our amazing youth pastor, DJ, who if you haven't met yet, you're lost. And during our conversation, he, he mentioned that he really needed one more leader for AMP on Wednesday night. And he needed one more leader to hang out with middle school boys. And so since the beginning of the year, um, it's been my heart, it's been, I think, the heart of our staff, especially, a conviction that we would be a church that truly invests in the next generation, that it wouldn't just be lip service, that we actually do it. Our event ex benefit is, is everything about that is geared toward how can we further invest in the next generation of teenagers and kids growing up in our church. And so after listening to T DJ talk a bit, I, I, I don't know. I just was like, okay. Love-fueled obedience leads to opportunity. So I said, DJ, I'll do it. Um, I'll come on Wednesday nights and I'll hang out with middle school boys. And uh, now it should be noted, this is not something I've done in about 20 years. I love youth ministry. I am a product of youth, youth ministry. I was impacted by it as a teen, but I haven't really been a part of it for two decades. But in that moment, I simply sensed the Spirit of God and the love of Jesus telling me to do it. So I can only say this because I wouldn't choose to do this on my own. It was the love of Jesus that fueled my simple obedience to pour into the next generation. And let me just tell you, since I've spent the last month eating meals and playing dodgeball and listening to crazy stories and getting to know some of the coolest teenagers, where's, where's Miles? I saw Miles. That's my man, Miles, right there. My man. Getting to know our leaders on Wednesday nights, Mike Gustafson and Julie and Chris, who's in the back. Like, I've been awed, not at myself at all, but I've been awed at getting to know some of the coolest teenagers and leaders on Wednesday night as they pour into the next generation. And, and I, am a, I am just telling you this as a witness to the fact that when the love of Jesus in embodies us. It gets deep into the soul of who we are. It 
fuels an obedience we never thought would be possible, and it allows us opportunities to share our lives and our story and the love of Jesus with others. I don't think Peter walked to the temple that day and went, all right, who are we going to heal today? He just walked in the love of Jesus, and, he, and through obedience, Jesus just kept giving him opportunity after opportunity. And I didn't get dragged to Wednesday nights. I'm not even doing it because I'm the lead pastor of Genesis or something like that. I just, man, I just know that Jesus loves me. I know that Jesus loves these kids. And that love is propelling me to do something I wouldn't otherwise have done. You know, Peter and the first church in the book of Acts, they didn't have a manual. You know, they didn't have the, they didn't have the book of Acts. They were writing it. They were busy, like, putting it together for us. There was nobody telling them these really cool, you know, lessons to be learned. They were just doing it, and it was all fueled by the love of Jesus for them. That love, it led them to greater obedience, which led them to greater opportunity. They didn't hesitate in moments when Jesus put opportunities before them. So I'm here to tell you this morning, I don't know what opportunities Jesus wants to give you, but I do know this, they are out there. And that when our lives are fueled by the depth of Jesus' love for us and the love that we have for him, he says the same words to us that he said to Peter. You go and feed my sheep. Go and hang out with middle school kids. Go and have lunch with that hurting friend. Go and be a witness to your workplace, not necessarily even through the words, but through how you compose yourself, how you work, how you go through your day. So as you consider all of this, I just want to ask you a few questions. And the first and most important is this. Do you know how much Jesus loves you? Maybe you grew up in the church like I did and you sang the songs and, you know, Jesus loves you was the answer to every question no matter what. Do you know how much Jesus loves you? The life that he gave, the life that resurrected from the grave by the power of the Holy Spirit so that you would not have to fear death, that you could live this life fully embracing the Spirit's movement in it all the way into eternity. Do you understand the love of Jesus? Start there. And... A second question you can ask yourselves is, are you allowing that love to fuel your obedience in your life? Maybe, maybe as you look at your life and you realize, man, I wish, I wish I was living as Jesus lived. Maybe it's not the result of you trying to wake up earlier and pull your bootstraps up and get busy, but because you're not taking enough time to really meditate on and consider the love of Jesus in your life. But are you allowing that love to fuel your obedience in your life. And finally, as you consider this, what opportunities are you seeing right now that that love-fueled obedience is opening your world up to? They're out there. Jesus is calling you there. He's calling you there. I promise he is. When we allow the love of Jesus to fuel our lives, he calls us to places we never thought we would go, but it's in those spaces that he does his greatest work. What opportunities is Jesus showing you as a result of that love-fueled obedience? My prayer is this today. As you consider those questions, as you consider this 
meaningful, important lesson we've learned from the life of Peter and what God's doing is that as you leave this room, that you would recognize that it is the love of Jesus Christ in your life that fuels everything you need outside of the doors of this room. It is there where obedience and opportunity is found. Don't skip it. Don't jump ahead to just trying to do a bunch of stuff. I promise you'll get frustrated, you'll get mad, and you'll eventually quit. Rest in the love of Jesus. Allow that to be the fuel in your life to greater obedience and greater opportunity. Let's pray. God, thank you so much uh, for the story of Peter and his faithfulness. I relate so much to Peter. Just rash. Decision-making is often all over the place. Yet you don't condemn him. You don't shame him. In the same way, we've walked into this room making mistakes and rash decisions. And you don't condemn us. You're not shaming us. You're saying, come be with me. Be my friend. I love you. I love you. May we rest in that love this morning. May that love fuel us for greater obedience, greater opportunities. I pray for the person here this morning. God, they've either walked in here having never heard about the love of Jesus, or they have walked in here and they've heard about it, but it's never sunk in. I pray by your spirit that it would take hold of their heart. They would leave here a changed life, God. But it is your love and your grace and your mercy that changes the hard hearts of sinful men and women like us. I pray, God, that you and your power would do that. And that if that is you, that you would just receive it this morning. Don't do anything else. Don't make a list of things you need to do. Just receive that this morning. And we thank you for your son, Jesus, who makes all of this possible. And that the small love and faith that we have in him God, it fuels obedience and opportunity like we couldn't imagine. So I pray, God, that you would enable us as a community to be just that, to be changed lives, changing lives, fueled by the Holy Spirit and the love that Jesus has for us, that nothing would hold us back from you or for whatever you want to do with our lives. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. So good to see you all here this morning. I'm excited to preach today. You know, you would think that every week I'd get up here and be like, man, I'm excited. Most weeks I am. Some weeks I, it's, it's more of a, you know, an act of obedience. But today, man, I am excited to preach. Uh, we are almost uh, two months into our time in Acts, and we've just made it through the first two chapters of Acts. So if that gives you an idea of how long this may go on for a while, uh, there are 28 chapters in the book of Acts, so we're going to be here a while, and that's okay. I've heard great things about it. And in those first two chapters, man, a lot, a lot happens. Uh, we see Jesus uh, appear before his first followers and tell them, hey, listen, I want you to wait. The Holy Spirit's going to come. I'm not going to be here. I'm going up to be with my Father. 
but I want you to be my witnesses in and through the world. When the Holy Spirit hits you and comes, things are going to happen. And it happens just as he says. The Holy Spirit comes. Those first followers, they go into the busy streets of Jerusalem during the festival of Pentecost. And they begin to speak the good news of Jesus in native languages they've never spoken before. It's a miracle. Then finally, Peter preaches to this massive crowd the good news. He connects the Old Testament with the New Testament. It says that he pierces to the very core of who they are. And thousands of people make a confession of faith to follow Jesus. And we saw last week as this new formed group. By the way, wasn't Dwayne great? Uh, Pastor Dwayne, great mentor. If you were here, if you missed it, go online and watch it. But talked about this newly formed group of believers. They're just they're getting their feet wet. They don't need, they don't even know what they're doing, and they they start to put into motion what it looks like to be this thing we now call the church in, in such a way that we two thousand years later go back to what they did, and we think that's who we want to be. I mean, God is moving in the first century among these first followers in ways. They never possibly imagine. And so as we move out of the first two chapters of the book of Acts, we're going to begin to see what happens as the church, this new community of followers of Jesus, begins to find this new identity that it has. There will be highs, there will be lows for them, but along the way, God will take this movement called the church and allow it to reach the potential he always dreamed it could. Along the way, we're going to see stories like we will today that help to exhibit not only the power of the Holy Spirit working in the church, but the continued power of Jesus' mission to reach the world. The church, as it's been said, is the one organization in the world that does not exist for itself, but for others. And you will begin to see as we go through the book of Acts how that manifests itself in and through these first followers. You see, even despite Jesus' physical presence not being with his first believers, he is still alive and moving among them. Only it's through these people, this ragtag group of sinners just like you and me in need of grace who he begins to use to reach the world with the best news it's ever heard. And so today we're going to come to a story that exhibits that. And I'm going to tell you today... One story from two perspectives with the same results. Let me say that again. I'm going to tell you one story from two perspectives with the same exact results. Now, here, here's the thing. If you've ever read the Bible or read it much, uh, spent time in the Scriptures, you'll notice that as you read stories in the Bible, they act like a prism. If you've ever experimented with the prism, you know that as light goes through the prism, it, it redirects light in such a way that colors emerge. And as you turn the prism, different colors begin to emerge. And the Bible acts very similarly. There are stories in the Bible that as you sort of turn it, you begin to see the colors of that story change, that God is moving in those moments in Scripture in ways that are often unseen, that if we turn it just a little bit, we'll see it in just a little bit different light. And so before I read this story, though, I, I want to do something that, that I don't often do, but I just want to spend a minute to pray because I believe that God has a word for you this morning, a word for you to bring new life in you. 
I, I sense as a pastor and as a father that, that as we have spent the last couple of years and all that's gone on in our world, that there's this, this sense of complacency, of not knowing what's next, that it, it feels as if we're kind of stuck. And I, I believe that through God's word, he has something new for you this morning. So I just want to pray for you as you hear God's word, as I hear God's word. Let's pray. God, we're in awe of the way in which you are moving in this world. We read these ancient texts 2,000 years ago, and we're in awe of how your Holy Spirit came and moved and used undeserving people just like us to do amazing things in this world. And God, we want to see your glory be revealed to our world in a world that feels stuck and complacent and uh, uneasy and in chaos. God, we want your peace and your joy and your mercy and your grace to be tangible. So we pray, God, that through your spirit, you would do something new in us this morning, that we would hear from you in your name we pray. Amen. All right. So open up your YouVersion app. If you haven't done so already, I really encourage you to do this through this series because we're going to work through every verse of Acts. It's going to be a way for you to just kind of keep track of where we're going. So go to more on your phone and then events, and you should find Genesis Church there. If you have a Bible, you can open up to Acts chapter 3 as well and read along as we go through it. So if you're not sure where Acts is in your Bible, it's about two-thirds of the way into your Bible. You should find it there. Now, again, just for context, Okay? The church right now, as we approach Acts chapter 3, is in its infancy. It's a baby, right? It, it's like barely cleaned off yet from the birth. It's just this brand new thing. But there's been this wave of movement through the city of Jerusalem. People are aware of what is going on. It's impossible to not be aware. Thousands of the people who came for one thing are now going to leave for a completely other reason. They had no idea they were going to encounter this person, Jesus. Things are happening in the city of Jerusalem. There is buzz in the air about Jesus and these precarious first followers of his. And that's where we pick it up in Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 1. You ready? So one person. Awesome. The rest of you, catch up. Let's go. Verse 1, Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Okay, stop there for a sec. few details to note of what's going on. First off, the church, though it has started, uh, we know, especially in the last chapter we looked at, that in the early days of the church, it was composed of primarily Jewish believers. And so they have continued to go to the temple to worship and to pray and to hear God's word. All of that is still relevant to their lives, except for the fact that they now realize Jesus is the fulfillment of all that. But they're being faithful in that. That is their act of worship as the church begins to start. And so in this, in, in this passage, we see devout Jews like Peter and John observing prayer at the temple. This happened three times per day, at 9 a.m., at noon, and at 3 p.m. And so being a good observing Jew, Peter and John, two of the first leaders of the church, they go to the temple to pray. 
They go to temple to meet with God. Well, meanwhile, because those times, 9 a.m., 3 p.m., and noon during the day, were highly visited by Jewish people as they went to pray at the temple, they drew a crowd at the temple, many people who were in need would park themselves in front of the entrances of the temple to be able to beg for their living. You would see cripples and outcasts and leopards, leopard, leopards, not leopards, not leopards, maybe leopards, lepers because of their condition. And because of their condition, they were deemed unclean, unwelcome into the temple. They were also unable to make a living since nobody among the Jewish community wanted to associate with them. Their only real opportunity to make an income for themselves was to beg. And it was a great time to do that. 9 a.m., noon, and 3 p.m. during the day. Right? And seeing as giving to the poor was a high value among those who were considered Jews, they gathered near the temple entrances to pull on the heartstrings of those who were going in, including Peter and John. And so Peter and John are going to pray. They encounter this lame man, this crippled man, who is begging for money, something they would see all the time. And then this happens, verse 4. Peter and John looked at him intently. And Peter said, look at us. The man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you. But I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. Now, first, I, wa I want you to notice just the reaction of Peter and John as they approached the lame man. In, in most cases, people would have just walked by this guy. No eye contact, noise in their ears, trying just to get by so they can go to the temple and prayer. And at our worst, listen, can we be honest? We do this too. We do this too. You know, I was in the parking lot of Walmart the other day, and there was this poor woman. She was just sitting on the curb. She was begging for money. Her head was down. And I just watched as people just walked by. Didn't give money. They didn't even acknowledge her existence. We do this too. Let's be honest. We do this too. And sometimes we feel uncomfortable. Like, I don't really know what to do in that situation. I, I get you with that. But, but look at what Peter and John do. They don't do that. This is, you know, passersby are going and they're just ignoring this man as if he, he wasn't even there. You know, maybe a few drop a coin in, but they're probably not even looking at the guy. They're disgusted by it. Like, oh, just take my money. Let me go on. And yet the story tells us that Peter and John, the first followers of Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked at him, what's the word? Intently. They didn't just glance at him. They looked at him with purpose. And then they say to him, Look at us. Look at us. I mean, if nothing else, if nothing else happens the rest of the day, Peter and John want this gentleman to know you're a value. You know why you're a value? Because God created you. You are made in the image of God. And so look at us. Just like us. God loves you. Now, of course, the man gets excited in that moment, right? His experience is that most people don't even look at him. They might throw a coin at him. But these guys, they're like, look at me. I mean, he's like, this is it. 
this is the mother load. This is when it happens, right? Right? Bring it on. I got more cups. Fill it up. Let's go. Right? But sadly, Peter tells him, listen, I don't have any money. Not what the guy wanted to hear. Right? So, like, you know, we would all do in that circumstance. Peter does the best best thing, and he just heals the guy. Right? Like, that's, that's kind of what we do, right? I don't have any money, but walk! Right? Like, that's what he does. But Peter has this confidence in what God is doing, and he sees this man, this man created in the image of God, and he just does what only he knows how to do. He says, look, I don't have any money, which probably he doesn't have any money because he's giving it to all the people that are now a part of this new church, which the, Acts chapter 2 tells us about. He's like, I don't have any money, but I'll give you what I do have, which is the power of the Holy Spirit, who, by the way, raised Jesus from the dead. And in verse 7, we see this occur. Verse 7, then Peter took the lame man by the right hand, and he helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, began to walk. Then walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them. It says in the text that he's been lame since birth, which means he's never stepped inside the temple. I mean, can you imagine... What's going on in this man's heart and hand? I, I have this, um, this image in my head of the man literally like running circles and dancing. You know, imagine if you couldn't walk since birth and then suddenly you were made whole, right? For your entire life, you watched as people walked and jogged and danced and played, and all you could do was sit on the sideline wondering what it might be like. I mean, the instance you were healed, I guess I would guess you would want to try everything you had witnessed others been doing for years. You know, like the running man, you'd be just like, yes, right? Or the moonwalk, you'd be like, woo! You'd be like, break, I ain't did break dancing. That's where we draw the line, right? Like this guy is on fire. God has done something miraculous in his life, and he beelines it into the temple to thank God. I mean, think about how this moment changes this man's life. Not only can he walk, but his status in life, where once he was seen as an outcast and unclean, unworthy, he is now set free to be part of what the community, the community he's desired to be a part of for so long. And if that weren't enough, look at what happens next. Verse 9. Shouldn't dance. I really shouldn't. I'm sorry. My wife, I told her, she's like, don't do it. Don't. It was pretty good, though. For 43. It was pretty good. It was pr Evan? It's pretty good. No. All right. Yeah. Verse 9. All the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. When they realized he was the lame beggar they'd seen so often at the beautiful gate, walking by, no eye contact, roll coin. You mean that guy? It says they were absolutely astounded. Mm. For maybe the first time in the life, his life, that man is seen. You notice that? For the first time, all the people in the temple are like, Hold on a second. That, that's the same guy that was sitting there, the guy that I ignored? Like, for the first time in his life, he's seen 
He is valued. People are in awe of what God has done in his life. This man is no longer invisible. And I just have to imagine Peter and John are just standing by like, all right, like, hey, John, it worked. Like, did you see that? That was amazing. I mean, at least in, in the book of Acts, this is the first instance we know of Peter and any of the first followers performing this sort of miracle. Like, it wasn't like this was just like, yeah, we've done this a million times. Like, he just was like, the spirit told him to say, get up, and the guy got up, and he ran into the temple. Like, wow, that is amazing day for them. Now, I mentioned earlier that I want to tell you one story, two perspectives, same results. And in this story, there are two main characters. There's the lame man, the crippled man, and there's Peter. And each is approaching this moment in history from a really different perspective. But each experiences, get this, each, whether you see it or not yet, each experiences the exact same thing. Now let's start with the lame man, okay? We know from the story that this man has been an outcast for his entire life. He was lame at birth. His condition has set him apart from the normal Jewish community of the first century. Unfortunately, the text tells us he has a few friends, you know, who will at least take him to the gates of the temple so that he can beg for a living. But overall, this man's existence is spent in relative isolation with no interaction with God in the temple or the rest of the community. This man's alone, unseen, unwelcome. But the day that he meets Peter and John, you know, it's really just like any other day as it gets started. He's going to sit at the temple gates, he's going to beg for money, and then he's going to go back to where he came from. The majority of people that will come through the gates of the temple that day, they'll just pass by. They won't make eye contact. A few of them may acknowledge them with a coin or two, but most of them are just going to walk by, no eye contact, no smile. And yet, despite all of that, at least the money he knows he's going to receive that day will enable him to live for another day. But let's be honest, this is a pretty lonely existence for a human being. It's a pretty lonely existence. And yet on this day, the lame man meets Peter. And I guess it's possible the man has heard, maybe seen Peter before. I mean, after all, in recent days, Peter is making quite a splash in the Jewish community in Jerusalem. But there's nothing that indicates the man really knows him. It's not as if the man was like, oh my goodness, it's Peter. Uh, Peter, come here. There, there's no real indication of that. But unlike every interaction he has with those passing by, Peter and John take that small moment to acknowledge him. So much, again, that they demand his look at us. We see you. Look at us. Now again, this would not have been a normal experience for the men, there must have been a little bit of shock, but must you know it, nobody ever garnered his immediate attention in those moments, and so their desire to take interest in him could only mean that they were about to bless him with enough money to last him for days. Again, oh my goodness, this is it. This is the mother loan. Only you have to imagine the layman is completely disappointed when they're like, "We have no money, man." Like. 
Why are you looking at me then? Why are you asking me to look at you? Why are you even paying attention to me? Instead, this stranger Peter tells him, I'm just going to give you what I have. And he says these words, in the name of Jesus Christ of the Nazarene, get up and walk. Now, now listen, Jewish historians like Josephus, who lived during the first century and wrote about what was going on in Jerusalem and the surrounding world, they, they write about the fact that many people would come to Jerusalem specifically claiming they were healers. And they would go and try to prove that they were healers among the crowds, mostly so they could garner attention, maybe an income. And so they would go to the temple gates, they would go to the pools by which many of those who were crippled would sit by, and they would attempt to perform miracles in their life. Happened all the time. And maybe once in a while there was a healing, and God was still at work, but for the most part, those people who were used as sort of a toy to try to get those others' attention were left in the same state they were before. So I have to imagine this guy sitting in a prominent spot in Jerusalem has encountered healers just like this. And when he hears Peter say, get up and walk, my guess is his first thought is, seriously? You're just another one of those guys? Like, are you just trying to kill my spirit completely? You can imagine the skepticism this man must have had as he hears Peter say these words. You can almost envision this like eye roll, like, gosh, this guy again? Really? All he wanted was some money. Man, I just need some bread and water. And instead he gets another phony healer trying to make a name for himself. But if there's one thing that separates Peter's words from the words of every other healer this man may have encountered. And it's these words that cause this miracle to be fulfilled. Can you see the words unique to Peter's request? He doesn't say, be healed and get up. What does he say? In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. If there's going to be healing, it is, going, it is not going to be because Peter is some sort of healer. It'll only be because of the name of Jesus. And filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, Peter uses the only name who can truly heal to bring a miracle to the lame man's life. And the rest, of course, is history. The man is no longer lame. He's doing dances from the mid-90s, right? Running into the... Some of you got that joke. I get it. Run it. Do I have to do it again? No, I'm <laughs> but, but here's what I, I want you to notice from this man's story. He came to the temple for a few bucks. He left with a new life. And here's why. There is more than you would expect in the name of Jesus. Mm. There's way more than you'd expect in the name of Jesus. I mean, it's possible that you've walked in here this morning with very little expectation of Jesus. You're here because you're supposed to be here. 
you're here because this is what you always do on Sunday morning. You're here because somebody dragged you here. And by the way, if you are in any of those circumstances, I'm really glad you're here. Because I want you to hear this this morning. I want you to hear this. And like the lame man, you may have sat down this morning with little expectation that this moment, this morning is going to make any difference in your life. That when you hear the name of Jesus, nothing is going to change. You sat down with little expectation that he is going to come through for you. Your marriage is suffering. Your finances are in disarray. Your kids are all over the place. You feel empty inside. The addiction is killing you. And the last place you think you could expect any sort of change is right here this morning in the name of Jesus. But I want you to ask the lame man in this story this morning what you could expect from the name of Jesus. Because I believe he will tell you there's way more than you'd expect. It's way more than you would expect in the name of Jesus, which brings me to Peter. Told you, one story, two perspectives, same results. Because on the other side of this story is the first leader of this newly found church. I mean, Peter is in deep right now, right? He's being questioned by religious leaders of his day. He has a community of nomads, crazy people who are living together, trying to figure this whole thing out called the church. And he has this newfound reputation for being this spokesperson for the people of Jesus. There's a lot of pressure on Peter. I mean, have you ever started doing something only to realize you have no idea what you're doing? This is where Peter is right now. This is the same guy that cut an ear off when Jesus was confronted by the religious elite. Right? He's a little bit erratic. He has no idea what he's doing. This is where Peter is as he goes to the temple to pray. My guess is that Peter's the first one into the temple and he's the last one out because he's like, God, I don't know what I'm doing. You, you put this on me and I have no idea what you're doing. So he and John are taking time out of their busy schedule to go to the one thing they know they need. They need prayer. And so they beeline it to the temple at 3 o'clock to pray with other believers and center their lives on the word of God and the work of Jesus. And as they do, they're interrupted by this man at the entrance, something they see every time they go to the temple, right? They go three times a day. These people are out and about every time they go, right? And it's likely they've even seen this man before, and they've walked by without acknowledging him. But on this day, something tells Peter, get this man's attention. And of course, the one day he does, Peter doesn't have the one thing the man wants. And he's the money. Literally have no money. He just gave it to somebody else. So in a moment of brevity, Peter kind of vamps, right? He's like, listen, I, I don't have any, I, I, I'll tell you what I do have. I have nothing right now, but I'll tell you what I do have. He may have no money, but he has been on a roll with his power of the Holy Spirit thing and the name of Jesus thing, so he does something he hasn't done really yet or seen since Jesus ascended to heaven. He attempts to heal the man. Now listen, Peter knows this is a gift. Jesus told them they would have this power to heal and do miraculous signs, but it's not as if he's done it very often. This is a risky moment for Peter. 
There's no guarantee that this is going to work if he does it now. But Peter, in faith, says, listen, I don't have any money, but I'm going to give you what I have. I'm going to give you the name of Jesus. And by simply offering the man what he has, Peter witnesses a miracle. He grabs the man by the hand and listens to his feet. Peter went to the temple to pray and walked away witnessing the healing power of Jesus. Why? Because there's more than you'd expect in the name of Jesus. Listen, when you decide to follow Jesus, the Bible says you're filled with the Holy Spirit. You have exactly what is needed to be a miracle worker in the world. We don't think of ourselves like that very often, do we? Peter doesn't have any money. He doesn't have any work. He barely has any energy, right? But he does have the name of Jesus and the power that he knows is associated with it. And so I don't care if you are rich or poor, educated or undereducated, old or young, popular or wallflower, a new believer or a longtime believer, you've been given exactly what you need. Just like Peter, you've been given exactly what you need to be a miracle worker in your own world. When you put to, put to use what you have, no matter how big or small, I want you to do so with great expectation. When, when we only have a hug to give, we should do so with great expectation. Because you know what? There's more than you'd expect in the name of Jesus. When we only have knowledge to give, we, we should do so with great expectation. When we only have our hands and our skills to give, we should do so with great expectation. When we sit with a teenager and are only able to listen to them and we don't understand what they're talking about, we should do so with great expectation. Because there is more than you would expect in the name of Jesus every single time. You know, when, when Kristen and I many years back, 10 years back or so, we're just getting started uh, planting a church in Las Vegas. Uh, we had a gathering of about 20 or so people, and, and really, we started the church from the ground up. It was just, you know, it was our family, uh, our dog, who we counted in those early days, and two other, three other people. I mean, that was it. And we gathered in our home. We're like, how are we going to do this? Much like what's going on here. And Eventually, we became this group of 20 people, and we were headed toward launching this church. And so we gathered together, and as we sat in the circle, we, we talked about, hey, look, how has God gifted you? Like, what do you have that you could use to be a miracle worker in and through this church? And so we went around, and people were like, you know, I've been a teacher all my life, and I love kids. I could really help with that. And, hey, you know what? Like, I work at technology. I can help us on Sunday mornings, you know, the AV stuff. And hey, you know, I've led small groups, so I could do that, right? And we're going around, and it's a mixture of people. And then we get to this guy named Dave. And Dave was a newer Christian. He, he had just come to our church. He was invited. Um, he had spent most of his young adult life smoking weed and skateboarding. That's just who he was. And church was sort of new to him, and he really wasn't sure if he fit in. But he liked Jesus. He really liked Jesus. And and he liked us, so he kept hanging out. And when we got to him, when it was his turn, these were his, ver his words, verbatim. 
He says, I really only know how to do two things. Skateboard and make sandwiches. That's all I know how to do. Now, granted, he was an employee at Subway, so that made sense. And in so many ways, that really was all he did. He skateboarded and he made sandwiches. And we all sort of laughed. But as we did, I, I realized that Dave was sort of serious. And, and so I offered a time to meet with him. And, you know, Dave ended up hanging out at our church for years. And in that time, I can tell you that Dave experienced more than he expected in the name of Jesus. I mean, not only did he become a Peter of his own right among the skateboarding community in Las Vegas, but he became a critical part of helping our church move forward. I remember at the launch of our church, we wanted to do something really unique. And so he helped organize a skateboarding exhibition in our parking lot. Here's a picture of him and some of his friends. This is me. You show the next picture. Yeah, that's me. I'm just kidding. That's Dave. That's Dave. And a couple of years later, Dave married his now wife, Tigra. They have two beautiful boys growing up on skateboards. They're leaders in their church. He's continuing to have an impact in his cult subculture that most of us would never be able to enter into. I wish I had told Dave what I'm telling you today when I met with him. I, I wish I had told him, Dave, there is more than you'd expect in the name of Jesus. But you know, I guess I didn't really have to. He just found it out himself. And I am telling you today, whether as you hear this story, you're like, man, I feel like that guy at the gate. I feel lonely. I feel unworthy. I feel like I have no value. I feel unseen. Or whether you resonate with Peter, where you're walking around going, God, I don't know what to do. I feel overwhelmed. I feel like uh, you're calling me to do something. I, I know that your spirit is real. I know that you are real, but I'm not really sure what I have. I mean, what do I really have? All I really know how to do is make sandwiches and skateboard. Whether you fit into one of those categories or both, I just want you to hear that again. There's more to be expected in the name of Jesus. Isn't that interesting? One story, two perspectives, same results. I mean, no matter how you're approaching this story today, if you relate most to the lame man down and out in need of new life, or if you relate most to Peter, unsure of whether... You, what you have is enough, or if you have anything left to give, I want you to approach the name of Jesus with great expectation this morning. Because there is way more than you'd expect in his name. When you place your trust and faith in the name of Jesus, miracles happen in your own life and in the world around you. Miracles happen in your life. Miracles happen through your life. It's what it means for us as a community to be changed lives, changing lives that we would be people that expect greatness in the name of Jesus because, well, that's just what there is. There's only great expectation in the name of Jesus. So here's what I want us to do this morning. I know we're going long, but just stick with me. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing a new song. And it's a song that I think speaks right to the heart of this message today. It's called Too Good Not to Believe. I love the title of that song. Jesus, he's just too good not to believe. And the lyrics of the chorus go like this. 
says, I believe you're the wonder-working God. All the miracles I've seen, too good not to believe. You're the wonder-working God, and you heal because you love. Oh, the miracles we'll see, you're too good not to believe. And that would be our anthem this morning, and that we would do so with great expectation. The name of Jesus can do more than you'd expect, and I want that truth to sit deep into your soul this morning. Whatever you're wrestling with, whatever you're wanting to see, whatever you feel insecure about, all of it, Jesus can do more than you'd expect. Place your faith there with great expectation. Let's pray. God, thank you for the story of Peter and the lame man in Acts chapter 3, the way you exhibited the power of your name and your Holy Spirit's work in and through their lives. This morning, we have walked in here, some of us with great expectation, some of us with no expectation. And I pray in this moment right now that we would sing to you the wonder-working God to be reminded of the miracles we've seen in our own lives and the calling on which you placed in our lives to be miracle workers in our world to a hurting, broken, chaotic world. God, may we trust in you and we pray that when we approach you, that when we say the name of Jesus, we would do so with great expectation. It's in his name we pray all these things. Amen. So good to see you all here this morning. I'm excited to preach today. You know, you would think that every week I'd get up here and be like, man, I'm excited. Uh, most weeks I am. Some weeks I, it's, it's more of a, you know, an act of obedience. But today, man, I am excited to preach. Uh, we are uh, almost uh, two months into our time in Acts, and we've just made it through the first two chapters of Acts. So if that gives you an idea of how long this may go on for a while, uh, there are 28 chapters in the book of Acts, so we're going to be here a while, and that's okay. I've heard great things about it. And in those first two chapters, man, a lot, a lot happens. Uh, we see Jesus uh, appear before his first followers and tell them, hey, listen, I want you to wait. The Holy Spirit's going to come. I'm not going to be here. I'm going up to be with my Father, but I want you to be my witnesses in and through the world. When the Holy Spirit hits you and comes, things are going to happen, and it happens just as he says, the Holy Spirit comes. Those first followers, they go into the busy streets of Jerusalem during the festival of Pentecost, and they begin to speak the good news of Jesus in native languages that they've never spoken before. It's a miracle. Then finally, Peter preaches to this massive crowd the good news. He connects the Old Testament with the New Testament. It says that he pierces to the very core of who they are, and thousands of people make a confession of faith to follow Jesus, and we saw last week as this new formed group. By the way, wasn't Dwayne great, uh, Pastor Dwayne? Great mentor. If you were here, if you missed it, go online and watch it. But talked about this newly formed group of believers. 
they're just they're getting their feet wet. They don't they don't even know what they're doing, and they they start to put into motion what it looks like to be this thing we now call the church in such a way that we, 2,000 years later, go back to what they did and we think that's who we want to be. I mean, God is moving in the first century among these first followers in ways they never possibly imagined. And so as we move out of the first two chapters of the book of Acts, we're going to begin to see what happens as the church, this new community of followers of Jesus, begins to find this new identity that it has. There will be highs, there will be lows for them, but along the way, God will take this movement called the church and allow it to reach the potential he always dreamed it could. Along the way, we're going to see stories like we will today that help to exhibit not only the power of the Holy Spirit working in the church, but the continued power of Jesus' mission to reach the world. The church, as it's been said, is the one organization in the world that does not exist for itself, but for others. And you will begin to see, as we go through the book of Acts, how that manifests itself in and through these first followers. You see, even despite Jesus' physical presence not being with his first believers, he is still alive and moving among them. Only it's through these people, this ragtag group, of sinners just like you and me in need of grace who he begins to use to reach the world with the best news it's ever heard. And so today we're going to come to a story that exhibits that. And I'm going to tell you today one story from two perspectives with the same results. Let me say that again. I'm going to tell you one story from two perspectives with the same exact results. Now, here, here's the thing. If you've ever read the Bible or read it much, uh, spent time in the Scriptures, you'll notice that as you read stories in the Bible, they act like a prism. If you've ever experimented with a prism, you know that as light goes through the prism, it, it redirects light in such a way that colors emerge. And as you turn the prism, different colors begin to emerge. And, and the Bible acts very similarly there are stories in the Bible that as you sort of turn it, you begin to see the colors of that story change, that God is moving in those moments in Scripture in ways that are often unseen, that if we, we turn it just a little bit, we'll see it in just a little bit different light. And so before I read this story, though, I, I want to do something that, that I don't often do, but I just want to spend a minute to pray because I believe that God has a word for you this morning. A word for you to bring new life in you. I, I sense as a pastor and as a father that, that as we have spent the last couple of years and all that's gone on in our world, that there's this, this sense of complacency, of not knowing what's next, that it, it feels as if we're kind of and I believe that through God's word, he has something new for you this morning. So I just want to pray for you as you hear God's word, as I hear God's word. Let's pray. God, we're in awe of the way in which you are moving in this world. We read these ancient texts 2,000 years ago, and we're in awe of how your Holy Spirit came and moved and used undeserving people just like us to do 
amazing things in this world. God, we want to see your glory be revealed to our world in a world that feels stuck and complacent and uh, uneasy and in chaos. God, we want your peace and your joy and your mercy and your grace to be tangible. So we pray, God, that through your spirit you would do something new in us this morning, that we would hear from you in your name we pray. Amen. All right. So open up your YouVersion app if you haven't done so already. I really encourage you to do this through this series because you're gonna we're going to work through every verse of Acts. It's going to be a way for you to just kind of keep track of where we're going. So go to more on your phone and then events, and you should find Genesis Church there. If you have a Bible, you can open up to Acts chapter as well and read along as we go through it. So if you're not sure where Acts is in your Bible, it's about two-thirds of the way into your Bible. You should find it there. Now, again, just for context, okay, the church right now as we approach Acts chapter 3 is in its infancy. It's a baby, right? It's like barely cleaned off yet from the birth. It's just this brand new thing. But there's been this wave of movement through the city of Jerusalem. People are aware of what is going on. It's impossible to not be aware. Thousands of the people who came for one thing are now going to leave for a completely other reason. They had no idea they were going to encounter this person, Jesus. Things are happening in the city of Jerusalem. There is buzz in the air about Jesus and these precarious first followers of his. And that's where we pick it up in Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 1. You ready? The one person. Awesome. The rest of you, catch up. Let's go. Verse 1. Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Okay, stop there for a sec details to note of what's going on. First off, the church, though it has started, uh, we know, especially in the last chapter we looked at, that in the early days of the church, it was composed of primarily Jewish believers. And so they have continued to go to the temple to worship and to pray and to hear God's word. All of that is still relevant to their lives, except for the fact that they now realize Jesus is the fulfillment of all that. But they're being faithful in that. That is their act of worship as the church begins to start. And so in this, in, in this passage, we see devout Jews like Peter and John observing prayer at the temple. This happened three times per day, at 9 a.m., at noon, and at 3 p.m. And so being a good observing Jew, Peter and John, two of the first leaders of the church, they go to the temple to pray. They go to temple to meet with God. Well, meanwhile, because those times, 9 a.m., 3 p.m., and noon during the day, were highly visited by Jewish people as they went to pray at the temple, they drew a crowd at the temple, many people who were in need would park themselves in front of the entrances of the temple to be able to beg for their living. You would see cripples and outcasts and leopards, 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 not leopards, not leopards, maybe leopards, lepers because of their condition and because of their condition they were deemed unclean unwelcome into the temple 
They were also unable to make a living since nobody among the Jewish community wanted to associate with them. Their only real opportunity to make an income for themselves was to beg. And it was a great time to do that. 9 a.m., noon, and 3 p.m. during the day. Right? And seeing as giving to the poor was a high value among those who were considered Jews... They gathered near the temple entrances to pull on the heartstrings of those who were going in, including Peter and John. And so Peter and John are going to pray. They encounter this lame man, this crippled man, who is begging for money, something they would see all the time. And then this happens, verse 4. Peter and John looked at him intently. And Peter said, look at us. The man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you. But I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. Now, first, I I want you to notice just the reaction of Peter and John as they approach the lame man. In, In most cases, people would have just walked by this guy. No eye contact, noise in their ears, trying just to get by so they can go to the temple and prayer. And at our worst, listen, can we be honest? We do this too. We do this too. You know, I was in the parking lot of Walmart the other day, and there was this poor woman. She was just sitting on the curb. She was begging for money. Her head was down. And I just watched as people just walked by. Didn't give money. They didn't even acknowledge her existence, right? We do this too. Let's be honest. We do this too. And sometimes we feel uncomfortable, like, I don't really know what do in that situation I, I get you with that but but look at what peter and john do they don't do that this is you know passers-by are going and they're just ignoring this man as if he, he wasn't even there you know maybe a few drop a coin in but they're probably not even looking at the guy they're disgusted by it like oh just take my money let me go on and yet the story tells us that peter and john the first followers of jesus filled with the Holy Spirit, looked at him, what's the word? Intently. They didn't just glance at him. They looked at him with purpose. And then they say to him, look at us. Look at us. I mean, if nothing else, if nothing else happens the rest of the day, Peter and John want this gentleman to know You're a value. You know why you're a value? Because God created you. You are made in the image of God. And so look at us. Just like us. God loves you. Now, of course, the man gets excited in that moment, right? His experience is that most people don't even look at him. They might throw a coin at him. But these guys, they're like, look at me. I mean, he's like, this is it. This is the mother load. This is when it happens, right? Right? Bring it on. I got more cups. Fill it up. Let's go. Right? But sadly, Peter tells him, listen, I don't have any money. Not what the guy wanted to hear. Right? So, like, you know, we would all do in that circumstance. Peter does the next best thing, and he just heals the guy. Right? Like, that's, that's kind of what we have to do, right? Like, I don't have any money, but walk right like that's what he does but peter has this 
confidence in what God is doing, and he sees this man, this man created in the image of God, and he just does what only he knows how to do. He says, look, I don't have any money, which probably he doesn't have any money because he's giving it to all the people that are now a part of this new church, which the, Acts chapter 2 tells us about. He's like, I don't have any money, but I'll give you what I do have, which is the power of the Holy Spirit, who, by the way, raised Jesus from the dead. And in verse 7, we see this occur. Verse 7, then Peter took the lame man by the right hand, and he helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, began to walk. Then walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them. It says in the text that he's been lame since birth, which means he's never stepped inside the temple. I mean, can you imagine... What's going on in this man's heart and hand? I, I have this, um, this image in my head of the man literally like running circles and dancing. You know, imagine if you couldn't walk since birth and then suddenly you were made whole, right? For your entire life, you watched as people walked and jogged and danced and played, and all you could do was sit on the sideline wondering what it might be like. I mean, the instance you were healed, I guess I would guess you would want to try everything you had witnessed others been doing for years. You know, like the running man, you'd be just like, yes, right? Or the moonwalk, you'd be like, woo! You'd be like, break, I ain't did break dancing. That's where we draw the line, right? Like this guy is on fire. God has done something miraculous in his life, and he beelines it into the temple to thank God. I mean, think about how this moment changes this man's life. Not only can he walk, but his status in life, where once he was seen as an outcast and unclean, unworthy, he is now set free to be part of what the community, the community he's desired to be a part of for so long. And if that weren't enough, look at what happens next. Verse 9. Shouldn't dance. I really shouldn't. I'm sorry. My wife, I told her, she's like, don't do it. Don't. That was pretty good, though. For 43. That was pretty good. That was pr Evan? It's pretty good. No. All right. Hey. Verse 9. All the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. When they realized he was the lame beggar they'd seen, so often at the beautiful gate, walking by, no eye contact, roll coin. You mean that guy? It says they were absolutely astounded. <clears throat> For maybe the first time in the life, his life, that man is seen. You notice that? For the first time, all the people in the temple are like, hold on a second. That's the same guy that was sitting there, the guy that I ignored. Like, for the first time in his life, he's seen. He is valued. People are in awe of what God has done in his life. This man is no longer invisible. And I just have to imagine Peter and John are just standing by, like, all right, like, hey, John, it worked. Like, did you see that? That was amazing. I mean, at least in, in the book of Acts, this is the first instance we know of Peter and any of the first followers performing this sort of miracle. Like, it wasn't like this was just like, yeah, we've done this a million times. Like, 
He just was like, the spirit told him to say, get up, and the guy got up, and he ran into the temple. Like, wow, that is amazing day for them. Now, I mentioned earlier that I want to tell you one story, two perspectives, same results. And in this story, there are two main characters. There's the lame man, the crippled man, and there's Peter. And each is approaching this moment in history from a really different perspective. But each experiences, get this, each, whether you see it or not yet, each experiences the exact same thing. Now let's start with the lame man, okay? We know from the story that this man has been an outcast for his entire life. He was lame at birth. His condition has set him apart from the normal Jewish community of the first century. Unfortunately, the text tells us he has a few friends, you know, who will at least take him to the gates of the temple so that he can beg for a living. But overall, this man's existence is spent in relative isolation with no interaction with God in the temple or the rest of the community. This man's alone, unseen, unwelcome. But the day that he meets Peter and John, you know, it's really just like any other day as it gets started. He's going to sit at the temple gates, he's going to beg for money, and then he's going to go back to where he came from. The majority of people that will come through the gates of the temple that day, they'll just pass by. They won't make eye contact. A few of them may acknowledge them with a coin or two, but most of them are just going to walk by, no eye contact, no smile. And yet despite all of that, at least the money he knows he's going to receive that day will enable him to live for another day. But let's be honest, this is a pretty lonely existence for a human being. It's a pretty lonely existence. And yet on this day, the lame man meets Peter. And I guess it's possible the man has heard, maybe seen Peter before. I mean, after all, in recent days, Peter is making quite a splash in the Jewish community in Jerusalem. But there's nothing that indicates the man really knows him. It's not as if the man was like, oh my goodness, it's Peter. Uh, Peter, come here. There, there's no real indication of that. But unlike every interaction he has with those passing by, Peter and John take that small moment to acknowledge him. So much, again, that they demand his look at us. We see you. Look at us. Now, again, this would not have been a normal experience for the man. There must have been a little bit of shock, but must, you know, it, nobody ever garnered his immediate attention in those moments. And so their desire to take interest in him could only mean that they were about to bless him with enough money to last him for days. Again, oh my goodness, this is it. This is the mother load. Only you have to imagine the layman is completely disappointed when they're like, we have no money, man. Like, why are you looking at me then? Why are you asking me to look at you? Why are you even paying attention to me? Instead, this stranger Peter tells him, I'm just going to give you what I have. And he says these words, in the name of Jesus Christ of the Nazarene, get up and walk. Now, now listen, Jewish historians like Josephus, who lived during the first century, and wrote about what was going on in Jerusalem and the surrounding world, 
they, they write about the fact that many people would come to Jerusalem specifically claiming they were healers. And they would go and try to prove that they were healers among the crowds, mostly so they could garner attention, maybe an income. And so they would go to the temple gates, they would go to the pools by which many of those who were crippled would sit by, and they would attempt to perform miracles in their life. Happened all the time. And maybe once in a while there was a healing, and God was still at work, but for the most part, those people who were used as sort of a toy to try to get those others' attention were left in the same state they were before. So I have to imagine this guy sitting in a prominent spot in Jerusalem has encountered healers just like this. And when he hears Peter say, get up and walk, my guess is his first thought is, seriously, you're just another one of those guys? Like, are you just trying to kill my spirit completely? You can imagine the skepticism this man must have had as he hears Peter say these words. You can almost envision this like eye roll, like, gosh, this guy again? Really? All he wanted was some money. Now I just need some bread and water. And instead he gets another phony healer trying to make a name for himself. Like, if there's one thing that separates Peter's words from the words of every other healer this man may have encountered. And it's these words that cause this miracle to be fulfilled. Can you see the words unique to Peter's request? He doesn't say, be healed and get up. What does he say? In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. If there's going to be healing, it is, going, it is not going to be because Peter is some sort of healer. It'll only be because of the name of Jesus. And filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, Peter uses the only name who can truly heal to bring a miracle to the lame man's life. And the rest, of course, is history. The man is no longer lame. He's doing dances from the mid-90s, right? Running into the... Some of you got that joke. I get it. Run it. Do I have to do it again? No, <laughs> but, but here's what I, I want you to notice from this man's story. He came to the temple for a few bucks. He left with a new life. And here's why. There is more than you would expect in the name of Jesus. Mm. There's way more than you'd expect in the name of Jesus. I mean, it's possible that you've walked in here this morning with very little expectation of Jesus. You're here because you're supposed to be here. You're here because this is what you always do on Sunday morning. You're here because somebody dragged you here, and by the way, if you are in any of those circumstances, I'm really glad you're here. Because I want you to hear this this morning. I want you to hear this. And like the lame man, you may have sat down this morning with little expectation that this moment, this morning, is going to make any difference in your life. That when you hear the name of Jesus, nothing is going to change. 
You sat down with little expectation that he is going to come through for you. Your marriage is suffering. Your finances are in disarray. Your kids are all over the place. You feel empty inside. The addiction is killing you. And the last place you think you could expect any sort of change is right here this morning in the name of Jesus. But I want you to ask the lame man in this story this morning what you could expect from the name of Jesus. Because I believe he will tell you there's way more than you'd expect. There's way more than you would expect in the name of Jesus, which brings me to Peter. I told you it's one story, two perspectives, same results. Because on the other side of this story is the first leader of this newly found church. I mean, Peter is in deep right now, right? He's being questioned by religious leaders of his day. He has a community of nomads, crazy people who are living together, trying to figure this whole thing out called the church. And he has this newfound reputation for being this spokesperson for the people of Jesus. There's a lot of pressure on Peter. I mean, have you ever started doing something only to realize you have no idea what you're doing? This is where Peter is right now. This is the same guy that cut an ear off when Jesus was confronted by the religious elite, right? He's a little bit erratic. He has no idea what he's doing. This is where Peter is as he goes to the temple to pray. My guess is that Peter's the first one into the temple and he's the last one out because he's like, God, I don't know what I'm doing. You put this on me, and I have no idea what you're doing. So he and John are taking time out of their busy schedule to go to the one thing they know they need. They need prayer. And so they beeline it to the temple at 3 o'clock to pray with other believers and center their lives on the word of God and the work of Jesus. And as they do, they're interrupted by this man at the entrance, something they see every time they go to the temple, right? They go three times a day. These people are out and about every time they go, right? And it's likely they've even seen this man before, and they've walked by without acknowledging him. But on this day, something tells Peter, get this man's attention. And of course, one day he does, Peter doesn't have the one thing the man wants. I need some money. Literally have no money. He just gave it to somebody else. So in a moment of brevity, Peter kind of vamps, right? He's like, listen, I, I don't have any. I, I'll tell you what I do have. I have nothing right now, but I'll tell you what I do have. He may have no money, but he has been on a roll with his power of the Holy Spirit thing and the name of Jesus thing, so he does something he hasn't done really yet or seen since Jesus ascended to heaven. He attempts to heal the man. Now listen, Peter knows this is a gift. Jesus told them they would have this power to heal and do miraculous signs, but it's not as if he's done it very often. This is a risky moment for Peter. There's no guarantee that this is going to work if he does it now. But Peter, in faith, says, listen, I don't have any money, but I'm going to give you what I have. I'm going to give you the name of Jesus. And by simply offering the man what he has, Peter witnesses a miracle. He grabs the man by the hand and lifts him to his feet. Peter went to the temple to pray and walked away witnessing the healing 
power of Jesus. Why? Because there's more than you'd expect in the name of Jesus. Listen, when you decide to follow Jesus, the Bible says you're filled with the Holy Spirit. You have exactly what is needed to be a miracle worker in the world. We don't think of ourselves like that very often, do we? Peter doesn't have any money. He doesn't have any work. He barely has any energy, right? But he does have the name of Jesus and the power that he knows is associated with it. And so I don't care if you are rich or poor, educated or undereducated, old or young, popular or wallflower, a new believer or a longtime believer, you've been given exactly what you need. Just like Peter, you've been given exactly what you need to be a miracle worker in your own world. When you put put to use what you have, no matter how big or small, I want you to do so with great expectation. When, when we only have a hug to give, we should do so with great expectation. Because you know what? There's more than you'd expect in the name of Jesus. When we only have knowledge to give, we, we should do so with great expectation. When we only have our hands and our skills to give, we should do so with great expectation. When we sit with a teenager and are only able to listen to them and we don't understand what they're talking about, we should do so with great expectation. Because there is more than you would expect in the name of Jesus every single time. You know, when, when Kristen and I many years back, 10 years back or so, we're just getting started uh, planting a church in Las Vegas. Uh, we had a gathering of about 20 or so people, and, and really, we started the church from the ground up. It was just, you know, it was our family, uh, our dog, who we counted in those early days, and two other, three other people. I mean, that was it. And gathered in our home, we're like, how are we going to do this? Much like what's going on here. And Eventually, we became this group of 20 people, and we were headed toward launching this church. And so we gathered together, and as we sat in a circle, we, we talked about, hey, look, how has God gifted you? Like, what do you have that you could use to be a miracle worker in and through this church? And so we went around, and people were like, you know, I've been a teacher all my life, and I love kids. I could really help with that. And, hey, you know what? Like, I work in technology. I can help us on Sunday mornings, you know, the AV stuff and hey, you know, I've led small groups, so I could do that, right? And we're going around, and it's a mixture of people, and then we get to this guy named Dave. And Dave was a newer Christian. He, he had just come to our church. He was invited. Um, he had spent most of his young adult life smoking weed and skateboarding. That's just who he was. And church was sort of new to him, and he really wasn't sure if he fit in. But he liked Jesus. He really liked Jesus. And and he liked us, so he kept hanging out. And when we got to him, when it was his turn, these were his, ver- his words, verbatim. He says, I really only know how to do two things, skateboard and make sandwiches. That's all I know how to do. Now, granted, he was an employee at Subway, so that made sense. And in so many ways, that really was all he did. He skateboarded and he made sandwiches and we all sort of laughed but as we did I, I realized that Dave was sort of serious and and so I offered a time to meet with him and you know Dave ended up hanging out 
at our church for years. And in that time, I can tell you that Dave experienced more than he expected in the name of Jesus. I mean, not only did he become a Peter of his own right among the skateboarding community in Las Vegas, but he became a critical part of helping our church move forward. I remember at the launch of our church, we wanted to do something really unique. And so he helped organize a skateboarding exhibition in our parking lot. Here's a picture of him and some of his friends. This is me. You show the next picture. Yeah, that's me. I'm just kidding. That's Dave. That's Dave. And a couple of years later, Dave married his now wife, Tigra. They have two beautiful boys growing up on skateboards. They're leaders in their church. He's continuing to have an impact in a cult subculture that most of us would never be able to enter into. I wish I had told Dave what I'm telling you today when I met with him. I, I wish I had told him, Dave, there is more than you'd expect in the name of Jesus. But you know, I guess I didn't really have to. He just found it on himself. And I am telling you today, whether as you hear this story, you're like, man, I feel like that guy at the gate. I feel lonely. I feel unworthy. I feel like I have no value. I feel unseen. Or whether you resonate with Peter, where you're walking around going, God, I don't know what to do. I feel overwhelmed. I feel like uh, you're calling me to do something. I know that your spirit is real. I know that you are real, but I'm not really sure what I have. I mean, what do I really have? All I really know how to do is make sandwiches and skateboard. Whether you fit into one of those categories or both, I just want you to hear that again. There's more to be expected in the name of Jesus. Isn't that interesting? One story, two perspectives, same results. I mean, no matter how you're approaching this story today, if you relate most to the lame man down and out in need of new life, or if you relate most to Peter, unsure of whether... what you have is enough, or if you have anything left to give, I want you to approach the name of Jesus with great expectation this morning. Because there is way more than you'd expect in his name. When you place your trust and faith in the name of Jesus, miracles happen in your own life and in the world around you. Miracles happen in your life. Miracles happen through your life. It's what it means for us as a community to be changed lives, changing lives that we would be people that expect greatness in the name of Jesus because, well, that's just what there is. There is only great expectation in the name of Jesus. So here's what I want us to do this morning. I know we're going long, but just stick with me. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing a new song. And it's a song that I think speaks right to the heart of this message today. It's called Too Good Not to Believe. I love the title of that song. Jesus, he's just too good not to believe. And the lyrics of the chorus go like this. It says, I believe you're the wonder-working God. All the miracles I've seen, too good not to believe. You're the wonder-working God, and you heal because you love. Oh, the miracles we'll see, you're too good not to believe. And that would be our anthem this morning, and that we would do so with great expectation. The name of Jesus can do more than you'd expect. And I want that truth to sit deep into your soul this morning 
whatever you're wrestling with, whatever you're wanting to see, whatever you feel insecure about, all of it, Jesus can do more than you'd expect. Place your faith there with great expectation. Let's pray, God. Thank you for the story of Peter and the lame man in Acts chapter 3, the way you exhibited the power of your name and your Holy Spirit's work in and through their lives. This morning, we have walked in here, some of us with great expectation, some of us with no expectation, and I pray in this moment right now that we would sing to you the wonder-working God to be reminded of the miracles we've seen in our own lives and the calling in which you placed in our lives to be miracle workers in our world to a hurting, broken, chaotic world. God, may we trust in you and we pray that when we approach you, that when we say the name of Jesus, we would do so with great expectation. It's in his name we pray all these things. Amen.